today. As the church, we sometimes need to break from our exposition of, of books of the Bible and talk about issues and things of life that, that matter to you and to matter to the people that you're involved with. And one of those things is dealing with this question that we're going to deal with for the next couple of weeks. How do we navigate the fears and the worries and the unknowns of life? I want to introduce you to this book and even recommend it to you. This is a book called Running Scared by Ed Welch. Uh, your pastor got this book for himself, okay, to help me deal with my issues and my struggles and my fears and my worries. I got this uh, post-heart attack, okay. I had a heart attack six months ago. Some of you didn't know that. And this was but this was so meaningful to me that I'm using um, several things that he talked about in the message today. Uh, this is one quote from the book. Every single person who has ever lived is personally familiar with fear. It is an escapable feature of earthly life. And so there are, there are men that have helped contributed to me and my and my growth and even this message uh, Ed Welch uh, Paul Tripp um, the late uh, David Pallison all of those guys if you're interested in biblical counseling are worth reading and investing your time in um, this is an idea that he said as well that whether you are the freest person in the world or the most oppressed person in the world you cannot escape fear because even if you were the most oppressed person and you were free, that freedom brings with it choices, responsibilities, and the opportunity to fail. So that even in our freedom, we cannot escape anxiety and worries and the unknowns. So what I want to be careful of this morning that's uh, so why I wanted to talk to you for a few minutes before we, before we read the text, is, is sometimes us preachers can, can get carried away and stand up and say generalizations like, if you are anxious or fearful or worried in your season of life now, that is sin and you just need to repent and trust the Lord more. And there is truth in that and we're, we're going to get there. But when it comes to fears and anxieties and worries of life and all the different things and people that go through all kinds of traumas and, and, and things, that go, it's not that simple to deal with this in our own life and to help other people deal with it in theirs. But here's a couple of things I want you to know. Anxiety is driven by fear. Depression is driven by hopelessness. That's why depression is more serious than simply being anxious. Because all it takes for someone to make the maximum cost and take their own life or overdose or something is two seconds of hopelessness. And so these things are important. And, and listen, they're not always directly the result of sin. It, physically, and if some of us, some of us got more miles on the engine than other people do, you know this is true. There's physical things that happen to you that change. If your hormones change, you're gonna you're gonna have more trouble with anxiety and depression. If you have a surgery and and, and your thyroid gets messed up, you're gonna have differences. You're gonna see it. We don't all have the same temperament. Rachel always liked Winnie the Pooh. He's a good illustration. Some of us are Winnie the Pooh kind of people, and some of us are Tigger people. And with Tigger people drive you crazy. They won't be still. And then a lot of us are like the Eeyores of the line. And that affects 
how we deal with situations and issues of life. These are not simply that simple. Environment makes a difference. Listen, if you were in school today, and when you go home, or you go in school Monday, and you go home, and you're going home to an abusive home, and you're not anxious, there's something wrong with you, right? You know, the, these, in other words, anxiety is driven by fear and is a response to the reality of life that people are living. And so, how do we help? How can we get help if we're in that situation? And how do you help somebody else that's in that situation? Because, listen, most of us are, whether we act like it or not. We might as well quit posing. There are things enough that scares us to death, and it bothers us, and we need to deal with it. In reality in life, there's two ways of dealing with it. I'm not going to talk about all the different things in the middle. I want to tell you the Christian way of dealing with these worries and fears and unknowns in life, and a secular way, and there's a whole lot in between. Okay? So just try to hear me and try to take this back and think about it. There is the secular way. The secular way looks like this. I've got some kind of issue that I'm facing. And so I go to a therapist, a, a counselor, or a psychiatrist. They give me a disorder, a, a syndrome, a, a condition. They prescribe me medicine, or they send me to someone who will. They listen to us, and we come back next week. There's no real healing or only therapy. It's therapeutic. This tells you, if you're not careful, though we all need to listen, and that is part of the Christian way as well, we need to talk and we need to listen. What this could tell the person, without saying a word, is that this fearful, worried, anxious person is who they are, and they just need to learn to deal with it. They just need to learn to live with it. They need to make peace with it. It's just the way you are. Besides, you've got a condition. No deliverance, you see is really given nor promised because these things have been natured into us from a sick culture or nurtured into us by jacked up parents. And either way, the problem is outside of you. What can you do? See, it's somebody else's fault. And so the only thing we can do is keep taking the medicine and keep going to the therapist. and That's a way. And there's truth and even good in that way. But I want you to understand the Christian way. We have an issue. We go towards discipleship. Another way to call discipleship is biblical counseling. We call it biblical counseling because this kind of counseling uses the Bible to address our fears, our worries, and yes, our sin. But listen to what else it does. It points us towards hope. It points us towards purpose. It points that person towards a biblical hope and the purpose for which God created them. What is wrong with the world and who are you and how can what is wrong be made right? The Christian worldview has to answer that. Biblical counseling begins to point them to something that God has made you to more than what you're afraid of. He also, the counselor, will begin to point that person toward their God-given giftedness. In other words, they need to use these good things. They need to focus on these things that God has given them, begin to use it for His glory and their joy. 
The Christian way believes that healing and deliverance have been purchased for us by Jesus Christ and both are available. Amen? That's the Christian way, brothers and sisters. And listen, if you're going to a counselor that calls himself Christian and he's not using the Bible, you're not going to a biblical counselor. You're going to a therapist who has Christian moral values. And understand that they are helpful. But only the Bible can bring us to deliverance. And only Jesus purchased it for us. This is the Christian way. And yet, here's the reality of the Christian way. Our sin and Satan's plans plans are going to fight us every step of the way. We're going to have to fight this with the promises and the Spirit of God and the promises of His Word. You see, if the ultimate problem is within me, then Jesus can give me a remedy and give me deliverance despite my situation out here. Two ways. So what are some truths about fear? I told you we were going to talk a little bit. This is an extended introduction, but it's an important one. Uh, What are some truths about fear? Here's the truth. Your fear, your worries, and your doubts aren't sitting around patiently waiting for you to ask them to leave. (laughs) Your issues in life. And these 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 are deep. They're not just sitting around. They have deep roots. They have a vested interest in staying with you, and they're not going to give up without a fight. They've not only been with you, they probably have been with you and were with your parents before you. Fear, you see, is a core issue in many of our lives. I would even dare to to use the word most. It's a fear in most of our lives. And listen, it cannot be defeated unless you bring it to the surface. Uh, I'm going to come to our growth groups, and we're going to talk about this. I want to give you some practical tools to how to not only help in your own life, but help other people. And we're going to come to, I'm going to come to your growth group and talk about that uh, next week, hopefully, Lord willing. But here's the, here's the thing. Think of a plant. Okay, a plant that grows. You have a plant, and let's say it has some kind of fruit on it. So you have a fruit of that plant, and you have the roots of that plant. Root issues are not fruit issues. Fruit issues are what you see. They're the things you want to stop. But they're not what's going on down in the roots. The reason your tree is not bearing good fruit, and the reason your plant is dying, is either a deficiency in the soil... Either there's something in there that's not good for it or something should be in there that's not in there. And so, they're fruit. You're anxious about your job or your school. The root is different than the fruit. The root, it could be a fear of failure. It could be perfectionism. It could be some kind of issue of control. All of them are driven by fear. Fear is impatient. It is self-protecting, and it is skeptical. I like this. He mentioned this in his his book. Fear says this. I tried God one time. He didn't work. Yeah, I did that. It sounds like this. I know you've never did this. But you come up to somebody, and you say, I'd like to lose a little bit of weight. You know? I noticed you lost a lot of weight. Now, if you ever did that, and you lost a lot of weight, everybody wants to ask you, how'd you lose weight? So you, you tell him you're sitting there going, well, uh, why don't you just try adding in exercise into your day? You know, don't change anything. Just try to, just try to work out a little bit. You know, get your cardio up. You know, just try it. Ah, 
I can't do that. Don't you know how much I work? Well, how about just cutting back on your, you know, your calories and your fat a little bit? You know, just look at the back of the box, you know, cut them down, control your portions. I tried that one time. It didn't work. Right? Well, how about this? No, I tried that. It didn't work. You know what that is? That's fear. You see it? The issue is not that you, you're, you're, you got a weight problem. The root problem is fear. And fear always is skeptical. It's always saying, probably not going to work. Eh. Fear skews reality. I call this a polluted perception. You ever notice? I know nobody here ever struggles with depression. I know you're perfect, but I'm not. Here's what you can tell when you're fighting depression. What you're thinking makes absolutely no sense at all, but you still can't do anything about it. It's illogical. Fear skews reality, makes things more serious and worse than they, than they are. And fear runs from things, people, and responsibilities. But here's the problem. It doesn't know what to run to. This is why people have panic attacks. and It gets worse. It runs from things. It tells you to run from responsibilities. You end up being a 30-something-year-old irresponsible, unemployed person. Is there going, why is it wrong? Why don't, just, don't, why don't you just get a job? Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? The problem is a root problem, not just simply a fruit problem. And if we don't allow the root problem to get to the surface, we'll never see good fruit. So how do I know that, I'm, that this is talking to me? Well, you already know it's talking, well, it's talking to you. That's the truth. You sit and go, oh yeah, this is me. But here's a couple of questions. Are you prone toward isolation? Are you prone towards sort of an independent existence? And especially when things go wrong. You don't want to be around people. Are you prone to control things? Do you have control issues? Do you really want to control people or situations? Parents, are you a micromanager of your children? That's not a child problem. That's a parent problem. That's a root problem. That's a fear problem. Are you prone to self-protecting behavior? This is the danger of too much me time. Too much me time is telling you that you may have a fear issue down in your core that needs to be dealt with. So what's the remedy for all of this? Because it's deep and it's vested and all these things. It is, and this is not an oversimplification, this is just a starting point this morning. We're going to talk about this next week too. It is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God through His Word. It is the only means to which we banish one thing and bring something else in its place. You're not supposed to just get rid of something. Remember this parable? Clean out the house and don't put anything in it and what comes back? Seven more of His friends. You've got to banish fear through faith. We've said this before. The opposite of fear is not courage. It is faith. Courage is a fruit of of faith. Now think about this with me. You know it's just true. Think about 1 Corinthians 13. You remember the love chapter? When love, I'm talking about agape, this God love, this sovereign chosen love, is true. When it's in your core, then love is patient. Love bears fruit. You with me? You follow this? When love is in your core... It bears fruit. It is patient. It is kind. It is long-suffering. It 
hopeful. So when you look at your fruit and that is not there, it is not other people's fault. It is a core issue fault. It is a root issue. The more you fall in love with Christ, the more you will see that fruit. So before we talk about action steps and all that, I wanted us to spend a time, little bit of time in Exodus. And so now we begin to get to our point. Before we do, let's just remember the story. Well, this is important. The Exodus story. There are two Exodus in redemption history in the Bible. Israel's and yours. Israel's and yours. Two Exoduses. One's more physical and the cross is spiritual. You could say the Egypt of the Israelites and the cross of Jesus Christ. So, so the Israelites were in slavery, you remember? 400 years they were in slavery. And you ask yourself, was there affliction because of their sin? Was it? Well, let's look and see. Exodus, if you've got Exodus, just flip back to chapter 1. Verse 8. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over to afflict them with heavy burdens. They didn't do anything. This wasn't a result of direct sin in Israel's life. It was a result of the Egyptians' sin. It was, it was the, the pain done to them, sin done to them, not sin by them. This word afflict here means to oppress, to humiliate, or to do violence to. According to the Jim Crow Museum, American slavery went from 1619 to 1865. And Americans were the Egyptians. We were the oppressors. And Africans were afflicted. And they did nothing to deserve it. And here's the truth. Slaves begat slaves that begat other slaves. And slaveholders began slaveholders that begat other slaveholders. They were a people in slavery. Slavery was getting worse. But praise the Lord, we had this third part. And without this, there would have been no deliverance. They had a God who was mighty to save. A God who was mighty to save. So the God who heard and delivered Israel is the same God who hears and delivers us in the midst of our fears, worries, and unknowns of life. And so now let's read the text. Exodus 2, verse 23. Exodus 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray. So Lord, now as we come to look at Your Word and to seek to apply it into our life, Lord, we pray for the courage to not just leave here today and cover our fears back up with busyness and with life and with medication or whatever it is, Lord, you do not desire your children to be driven and motivated and live by fear but by faith. 
And so, Lord, we ask for that. I ask it for myself today. We ask it together. Lord, deliver us because you have purchased this deliverance from sin and from self and from Satan's plans. Deliver us today, even as we sit here. Fill us with your Spirit and remove these things that are robbing you of your glory. Oh, as as Micah prayed that we would not waste our breath, that we would not waste our life, not one more second living in ways that don't bring you glory. No matter what happened in our life, Lord, you were powerful enough, you determine our destiny, and nobody else does. And we give you thanks for that today, in Jesus' name. Amen. The God who cares is the God who hears and the God who acts. He heard them. Look at verse 23. There was a desperateness to their situation, and so there was a desperateness to their plea. Verse 23, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. This was only getting worse. As Joseph became more of a memory, and then he wasn't remembered at all, their slavery was getting more intense. This word groaning doesn't have words attached to it. It's just a vocal sign of pain. You ever had that? <laughs> you live long enough, you have. You know exactly what that sounds like. This groaning because you just can't get the pain to stop. Years ago, I, I had a ruptured disc and I ended up having two back surgeries. And I lived with, for some time, in intense pain, 24 hours a day. I couldn't even go to bed and get rid of it. And sometimes Christine would just have to take the kids and leave. because And I would just groan. I said, work, I had to work, I was grown. That's what they were doing, they were just groaning. Just listen to Deuteronomy, it explains it in a different way. Deuteronomy verse six, 26, verse 6. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 6 says this, And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. Then they rem he's remembering, verse 8, And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, and with signs and wonders, and he brought us into the land and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. Look at verse 7. You see their desperation, harshness, oppression, Affliction, labor that never would stop. Listen, fear is an affliction. Fear is a suffering. And listen, if you can get that today with the people that you're close with, that this is a suffering, you'll have more compassion for them. It's a suffering. This thing is entrenched into their life. It's entrenched in our life. And here's what they want to know when they talk to you. And here's what they need to know before they dare come to God. Three questions when you meet somebody that they're asking about you. Do you care? They're not going to ask you this, but they are. Do you care? Do you care about me? Question number two. Can I trust you? Do you care about me? Can I trust you? Here's the third question. Can you help me? If any of those questions are no, they might take food from you. They might take $5 from you. 
but they're not going to let you enter their life. Here's the good news today. God cares. We can trust him, and he can help. And listen, we're his children. So we need to remember, God hears our desperate prayers, and he even hears imperfect prayers. I almost just took the word prayers out of this. He just hears our imperfect grumbling. Right? In the midst of our affliction, we grumble. That's what they did, the word grumbling. You ought to just look it up if you have a way to look up words in the Bible. Look up the word grumble, grumbled, or grumbling. It's all in the, the first five books of the Bible. God's people grumbled. Exodus 16, verse 7 says this, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. That's <laughs> what he says. For what are we that you grumble against us? All grumbling, all whining is ultimately against the Lord. Down to verse 9, Exodus 16, verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud God's presence verse 11 and the Lord said to Moses I have heard the grumbling of the people say to them at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread then you shall know that I am the Lord your God I don't know whether that gets your attention it's just amazing but notice how God responds to this grumbling God answered their prayers, not because they were perfect prayers, but because they were His people. He cares for them because they are His. That's good news. How can I be sure? How can you be sure that God will hear your prayers? Are you His child? God hears you. Even when we don't know what to say, and even when we say the wrong things, even when they just come off a little more like Eeyore. It's good news. Quote, Some people would say of Israel, they didn't have a prayer. But in fact, a prayer was all they really had. Psalms 5, verse 2 says this, Listen to my cry for help, my King, my God, for to you I pray. This is what Peter said. John 6, 68, do you remember when everybody started leaving the Lord and the Lord looked at them and said, we all leave too? Remember what Peter said? Where do we go? Who do we have but you? You have the words of eternal life. Romans eight twenty six tells us that sometimes when we pray, we don't even know what to say, but that even our spirit can groan and he interprets those groanings into the very throne room of God. Even when we don't know what to pray and what to say, and all we can do is sigh or groan, God understands it. He hears it, and he cares about it. We need to remember that when we're going through these things. We need to point other people that God hears, and not only that, God acts. He is the... You ever heard somebody tell you you need to be an active listener? God is the chief active listener look at verse 24 and 25 and God heard their groanings God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob God saw the people and God knew you see the chain reaction here 
God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. He hears and he remembers. This is covenant language. God is not saying that somehow he had forgotten for 400 years. That he was unconcerned for 400 years. He was just like, eh. No, God has chosen to act on his covenant promises. That's what he's saying. What are those promises? Well, let me just read a couple of them to you. You remember that Abraham was promised a son named Isaac, and yet Abraham wasn't a very patient man, right? And kept, with, with encouragement from Sarah, kept trying to run ahead of this whole thing. Uh, Genesis 15, look at verse 4. Or just listen. It's Genesis 15, 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now look down at verse 13. This is, this is important. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation, and they will serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Their affliction and yours is no accident, because God is sovereign in control. Do you see it? Even when he gave Abraham the promise. This was the promise. The God who heard is about to act. He's acting based off promises. Psalms 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their cry. This is good news today. What God is remembering is not the people's sin, but his promises to them. He remembers what he has done. He has made an unbreakable, unshakable promise. And he's not going to go back on it. Let's understand this promise of Abraham even better. Listen to Genesis 17 and verse 7. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the lands of sojourning, all the lands of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Galatians 3 tells us that the offspring that was promised to Abraham was Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant that was promised to us. Hebrews 8.6 says this, lesser to greater argument. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. This is a promise that we trust in, that God is going to hear and act on us because Christ is the one who has paid it all. And His blood has initiated a new covenant, a better covenant. And God moves toward us because of that covenant. Look what else He says. That God knows, verse 25. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew We've lost this word, this word to know. 
The word in the Bible, when you read this, means to reveal oneself. That you cannot take knowledge of God unless He reveals Himself to you. It is the image of how a husband knows his wife and how a wife only reveals herself in a certain way to her husband. That's what it means. This word suggests intimate personal knowledge. He knows them and he knows all the details of their suffering. He knows what the root issues in your life are. He knows the fruit. God delivers. Think about this. Because in the root of God is a love for His chosen people. And so there's just going to be fruit that comes out of God, His actions, His activities, because of who God is and His root. If God loves us this way, then why are we still such worried, anxious people? I think Paul Tripp nailed it. He says this, The problem is not that God is not there or that He's inactive. The problem is we don't see Him. Isn't that just true? You know, sometimes you just need a hug, you know? So what today? And I hope to answer that, problem, that, that question by helping you understand that you are instruments in God's hands. God cares, so He gives them you. So here's the truth this morning. Let's just think about this for a minute. Uh, both God and fear speaks. Matter of fact, they are speaking. They're speaking right now. God is speaking through his word. But fear is talking to you right now too. And it will be talking to you even more now that we brought it up. <laughs> Should you listen to fear? Yes and no. To some degree, you could say yes because of this. What is your fear telling you? It's helpful. What is it telling you about yourself? Am I afraid of failure? And if that's the case, then what is it telling me that I want more than anything else? My fear is telling me something. It's telling me that I want something. And I want it worse than anything else. That's why I'm anxious about it. Is, what is it? Right? So that's helpful. Is it success? Is it recognition from someone? Maybe a, a parent or someone in authority? Maybe you just want material comfort. It could be you find out that you just don't want to disappoint someone. And so what you really have dealing with here is a fear of man. Because I have people in my life I don't want to disappoint because I love them. And that, that good thing has become a dominant thing which has become an idol. What is it telling you? Fear speaks. Are you afraid of getting hurt? If that's the case, what is it telling you that you want more than anything else in life? Do you, are you afraid of being out of control? And because you're afraid of being out of control, you're an insecure person. Control has become your idol. Fear can tell us these things. Are you too afraid to trust people? If that's true... If you're skeptical of every person, so you stay away from real close relationships, what is it telling you that you want more than anything else in your life? Fear can tell you things. What is, in other words, what fear is saying is something's wrong. 
So if, in that sense, yes. But in another way, no. <laughs> you don't listen to... Because here's the truth. Fear desires to be your boss. Fear is a slave master. And it wants to be the boss of not only you. This is the problem. Nothing we ever do, none of our issues affect just us. They bleed out on other people. Bleeds out in the way we are controlling or self-protecting. I've heard this. I've heard this. I am not going to someone's house for small group. Not going to do it. I'm just not going. The answer is, why not? Did not Jesus say we really are family? Do you really have to get your house clean when your children come over to your house? Your grandkids come over to your house? Do you really have to clean your house spick and span? What is that desire telling you about yourself? Right? Are you with me? These are practical core things of life. What is it telling you? What are you afraid of? And here's another question. Are you going to submit to that fear? Are you going to say to that fear, yes, sir, yes, sir, I'm just going to stay away from these close relationships because you never know, these people are probably just like all those other church people, you know. By the way, I know I've heard a lot of pastors say this, you know, everybody complains, church are a bunch of hypocrites, and pastors usually say, you know, come join us, you're a hypocrite too. That's true. But worse than that, what is this person saying they want more than anything in life? What is that really saying about them? Until we can help them answer that question, there's no chance of not getting bad fruit. What is it saying? So in some sense, no, don't listen to fear because it desires to be your boss and fear always wants relief right then. Fear is impatient. It does not know how to wait on God and it cannot wait on other people either. So we'll just do it ourselves. I want it, and I want it now. So what can I control now? It produces ultimately an extremely apathetic person or an extremely impulsive person who lives life off the end of their own nose. It can do either one. That's why it's so dangerous. In other words, fear has fruit. And that fruit looks like anxiety, depression, Manic behavior, workaholism, perfectionism, laziness. It could look like anything. Here's the truth. Most of us have fear. But I was like, Mike's fear is worse than mine. He got, he got badder fruit than me. I know badder is not a word. It ought to be. You're badder, you know. Ooh. And the truth is, that down in our core, we are fighting the same things. And the only way we can have victory it's through the power of the Spirit, the Word of God, and listen, each other. You will never experience victory locked up in your homes on a couch, listening to church once a week. You will only experience victory as you take the promises of God and fight with them, and we fight with each other. Not each other, but fight with each other. Let me show you something. Matthew 6. Matthew 6, we're almost done. Turn to Matthew 6. I want you to see Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, verse 24. It says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the question is, is this really just about money? Or is this just not a principle here? You cannot serve God and what? Anything else. So listen, this is important. If I ask all of us what it means to be holy, most of us would first say holiness is first to be what? Y'all know, y'all got all the answers. You just don't want to say them out loud. It's to be set apart. It's not what holiness is, firstly. It's what, uh, it's what holiness produces. Holiness is to be devoted. Holiness is not a husband saying, I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my wife because I am devoted to her and her alone. You see that? That devotion is the root. Fidelity is the fruit. Here's what he's saying. Got to get your root right. You got to get your devotion right. You got to get your love right. You got to get your faith right. And then, verse 25, therefore, because of that, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. You see that? He goes home and tells him. I love these illustrations. He's saying birds don't have a job or a bank account, and somehow God takes care of them. Does he not love you more? The fields aren't naked. The fields have clothes. They call it grass. God puts clothes on the fields. And they didn't do anything to deserve it, to earn it, or to hold on to it. Cannot we trust God who loves us more? He goes on to tell us in verse 30, Oh, you of little faith. Look at verse 33. Verse 32 says this, For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things above will be added to you. In other words, he's saying you want the first step today towards victory over anxiety and depression and that. He said, seek the rule and reign of God in your life and on this earth. Seek His righteousness, His goodness, His love, His faithfulness, His purity. And trust Him to take care of these other things. So which command in the Bible is in the Bible more than any other command in Scripture? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's over and over. Fear not. He says it different ways. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Do you know the difference between that command and let's say the command to not commit adultery or to not murder? You need to hear the tone. We talked about tone last week. Don't commit adultery or else. Don't commit murder or you yourself will die. Obey your parents because if you don't, you may well shorten your life. Right? You feel that tone? Listen to the different tone. And just go back and study it in the Bible. See, see that this is true. He says, fear not. Why? Because I'm with you. You see the difference? Don't fear not because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you. I mean, what sense does that make? He says, fear not because I'm with you. My presence is here. 
Yes, I'm powerful. But that's important, you see. Because when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you shouldn't fear. Why? Because He's with us. And not only He is with us, all of His power, His rod and His staff is with Him and will bring it to bear. This is why He tells us in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, this is true. Your fear is personal and so is mine. And the only way to overcome it is with the personal knowledge of a God who loves you, who cares for you, and who has the ability and the desire to heal you. And listen, we'll get into this more next week. And we, brothers and sisters, are instruments in His hands to administer that care to the people into a broken world that needs to know that we care, that we can be trusted, and that we can help them. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time when we have heard from your word. Lord, I know this is a different kind of message over the next couple of weeks, but Lord, it is important. So I pray um, just for your spirit to work in all of our life, Lord, that we that we wouldn't quench the Spirit when we leave here. Lord, there's temptations that's going to flow out here. We're going to be tempted to, to fight and to get mad and to worry about all kind of piddly things that don't matter in eternity as soon as we get in a car. We know it's coming. And so, Lord, help your people as we cry out to you and say, Lord, we are tired of being afraid and fearful and anxious people. Bring healing to us. Replace that fear with faith. With our skeptical nature with love and trust. Make us compassionate and courageous believers. And so now, Lord, we come with all of that and lay it at your feet. And now we're going to come, Lord, to lift our voices in love and trust to you. And come to the tables to remember the blood of the new covenant and the body of the new covenant that was broken and shed for us. Lord, we come now to remember that your work is finished and your promises are sure and one day we will be with you. And Lord, you know how hard it is for us now. And so, Lord, comfort your people with the comfort of the Holy Spirit, with the promises of your word and with the fellowship of the brothers and sisters of God. May you bless your people now as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.